When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. Um, it is me, Susie Dent, and my lovely co-presenter sitting opposite me in my sitting room. I feel this is a move in the right direction, Susie, and it's a charming sitting room. I like it very much. No, I really like to light a fire, but um, I think the crackle might be a bit too much. Marvellous. Um, this is Giles Brandreth, in case anybody was in any doubt whatsoever. Um, Something Rhymes with Purple, Giles, we've established that one of the rhymes, and there are a few actually, is purple, which is to walk with a limp, which of course involves a gammy leg. And that's quite appropriate because today we're talking about the body and our anatomy, not necessarily our personal anatomy. But is there anything about your body, may I ask, that this you're not too keen on or that you love? why you're going to say much more than me this week, because I'm quite squeamish when ah. it comes to the body. My body awareness is nil. I'm embarrassed by my body. I feel squeamish. I always did. Hated it at school, sharing the showers. Ooh, all that. Well, the reason I love parts of the body when it comes to language is that they're hidden behind so many of the words that uh, we use all the time. So regular viewers of Countdown, I might even have mentioned it on Purple, uh, will know that I love the word sarcasm. Uh, which goes back to the tearing of flesh. Uh, it goes back to a Greek word for um, flesh and burning. Um, and it's linked to sarcophagus because the limestone coffins that you will find in a, used for sarcophagi uh, used to deco decompose the body by sort of burning the flesh. So a sarcastic comment burns the flesh as Ooh. you deliver it. Um, for, just give me sarcophagus. Which part of sarcophagus sarc, is the burning? Sarc means flesh. Sark means flesh. And phagus means eating. So it's flesh eating. So, my gosh, so sarcophagus, which you put the body into, is eating, as it were, it's a, it's yes. a metaphor, it yes. isn't actually doing it, eating no. the flesh. And sarcasm is a remark so that it well, eats away Which is actually doing flesh. it in a way because it's decomposing the flesh because of this particular quality of the um, of the limestone, the particular Very property. Good. So a limestone sarcophagus eats the flesh and a sarcastic yeah. remark eats the flesh. Okay, mm. um, I'm going to... Yeah. Whiz through these because they're quite through them. them. They're wonderful. That's why, um, that's why people have tuned in to hear. We've got so much to pack into this program. Um, Dishevelled goes back to the French déchevelé, meaning your hair's all over the place. Your hair, yeah. as in chevelé. But you can't be chevelled as a result, sadly. You can just be dishevelled. Supercilious has got seal in it, C I L, which is French for your eyebrow. So if you're supercilious, you're super eye uh, above. Um, seal eyebrow is raised. So essentially you're raising your eyebrows. I'm raising my eyebrows as I speak. You are. Um, gorgeous 
something gorgeous once applied to your gorge or your throat um, because oh, yes. you referred to beautiful necklaces. And I know that a French word for a bra or brasier, which is a French word, oh, yes. of course, isn't it, is a soutien-gorge. It is. Because the gorge the is the throat, isn't it? Yes, and by extension... By the extension of your throat. So it's a delicate way of putting it. You couldn't, your eyes could not sort of glance down. Mine never would, of course. Um, so the, the throat is the gorge, um, but the bosom yeah. is the... So the soutien means oh, hold yeah. up, doesn't it? We can it? stay with boobs because brassiere, your brassiere, for which bra is short, um, actually goes back to a completely different part of the anatomy. And the first people to wear bras were men because it goes back to the French bras, meaning arm, and a brassiere was originally armour for your arm in medieval days. That's put me right on this. It's an urban myth that it was Franz Titzlinger who invented the brassiere. <laughs> I've I right? never heard that. Oh, it's a well-known thing. Is it? When I when I was at school as a little boy, <laughs> they always said, you know, you know who invented the brassiere? It was Franz Titzlinger. And I wasn't <laughs> sure. You know, because the man who invented the Mars chocolate was called Mars. He was. It's not named after the planet. Yes. Unlike the Milky Way, which is named after the Milky Way. Yes. Mar- so you never quite know with these things. No. And we know that Leotard was named after <laughs> the Leotard, Mr. Leotard. Jules. Uh, well, do you know, I have no idea, but I'm going to have an interesting bit of uh, search history on my computer later. Yeah. I look him up. I quite like Caprice um, because that means hedgehog head. It's apparently a reference to what well, goes back to the Latin for it anyway, uh, Capo Enricio. Um, apparently in reference to your hair standing on end. So it's not it doesn't quite fit somebody who's capricious and just who flits from one thing to another. But I think the idea is of just sort of startled inconstancy, probably. Um and and hair standing on end riffles through so many different words in English. Horrible goes back to horere in Latin, which again meant to have bristling hairs on your arms and body. As usual, you know, we're trying to do too much. We could just have stuck I know, with I just, the head. I've got so much body well, to fit in here. No, but I, because some people are taking notes, apparently. Are now, they? On, oh, yeah, yeah, because we don't produce a, a sheet of notes. So horrible is to do with your hair. Yes. Oh, there it is. Say that again. Hair stand on end. So H-O-R-R-E-R-E. A hair-raising experience is horrible. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, so the melancholy as well. Melancholy goes back to the idea of the humours. In Middle Ages, medicine was based entirely on the humours and what... uh, balance your body was um was showing in terms of blood and bile um and all sorts so sanguine you will know means full of blood um if you're a a sanguine disposition an an excess of blood was supposed to make you quite um serene in some ways um whereas melancholy goes back to black bile the mela there is the same that you'll get in melanoma meaning black um so if you had an excess of black bile in your body you were melancholic Okay. Um, so many that, that kind of go back to those medieval beliefs. Can we just just start, concentrate, exhaust the okay. head first? We've done horrible. We've done the hair. We've yeah, done... Dishevelled. Dishevelled. Uh, have we done anything to do... We've we done the eyebrows. Anything from the eyes? Uh, well, my favourite one, which I know I've mentioned before, but I could talk about this all day, the pupil of the eyes is named after the Latin pupilla, little doll, um, with the idea that when you stare into the pupil of somebody's eye, you see a tiny doll-like representation of yourself. Ah. It's so beautiful, that, isn't it? I think we must have discussed this before because it's all to do with the early stages of falling in love, yeah. you know, because... The That's early right, pupils fall- dilating, we talked about this. Yes, you know? and amazing to be before. 
falling in love with themselves. They think they're falling in love with somebody else. But you know, that <laughs> early stage of, oh, I mean, I could be you, you are me, me are you, we are together, we are one. In fact, it's all about, it's me, me, me. It's narcissism, isn't it? Yeah, yep. afraid so. You're right. Yeah, my wife has explained that to me over the years. Charles, you think it's all you, you, you. In fact, it isn't. It's all me, 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 she says. Oh, is it? <laughs> is there anything else in the eyes? Um, Dilated eyes? The, the, or the iris? Apple of one's eye. Ah, what's the origin of that? Uh, that goes back to the belief that the pupil was actually a solid spherical object, a bit like an apple. Um, that was that was believed in ancient times. And so the apple of your eye, again, was the pupil, the solid pupil of your eye. And because it was so important to life, being able to see, uh, it was seen as something to be cherished. Who was the famous actor who uh, had a false eye and used to take it out and sort of disconcert the audience and the other characters by taking it out, sucking it and popping it back in? Ugh, no Trying idea. to remember what he was called. I think it was Esme something. Was it Esme Percy? And and occasionally it would fall out on the stage and all the other actors would get out of the way as he'd run across the stage trying to, to pick up his eyeball. Isn't it funny how we're squeamish about eyes? Like you say, they are so precious. When I first signed my organ donor form, I missed out the eyes because I thought that's the well, one you were applying thing. for somebody else's private parts what were you asking no no for? I was just like oh, when I, away, when I died giving away. everything away and then I but I kept my eyes I held them back but now I have to oh, say man. I've donated everything well I will donate everything do you know they didn't want mine I went in you and eyes? volunteered no anything oh they said no I don't think so I said please I'm giving it all to science they said <laughs> no no thank you very much Oh well, apparently I'm 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 past it. I'm too old. They want young, fresh meat like you. Well, the other really good thing to do is um, I don't know if there's an age limit to this. Is um, there's a brilliant organisation called Delete Blood Cancer where you can sign up, and if you're a match, I mean there are some kids particularly in dire need of bone marrow. Um, yeah. so that's a really good thing to uh, do. Of course, it's, uh, you should. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I'm rather in favour of this policy. I think it's happened in Wales already that you have to opt out. Yes. That basically... You, you it, donate it, by default. I think yeah, that's really it, good. That's too. a good thing. So let's just stick with the eyes. Uh, eyelashes. No. No, there I don't think anything to say there. Cheeks, cheeks, cheek, cheek. Dancing cheek to cheek. Yes. Uh, that's nice. The mouth, the teeth. The teeth, um, skin of one's teeth. Yes, um, what's the origin of that? A biblical reference um, where somebody escapes. Um, who was it? It was in the book of Job. That's right. And Job is subjected to horrible trials, apparently, by Satan. And it says, my bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. And I think the idea is that, um, you know, the porcelain of your tooth is just so, so slender and so so incredibly thin the skin that of my teeth. it was by the narrowest margin i think that's I, this is why I love the English language. You speak of the Bible, the book of Job in the Old Testament. But of course, that phrase will have come from the translation of the Bible in around 1605, that sort of time. Yeah, possibly. The King James Version. Or the Wycliffe. Or the Wycliffe Version, version, which is sort of 1588. Yeah. So the point is that these phrases have got into, there's something poetic about them that gets into the air Mm. and people cling on to them. There's a play, isn't there, called The Skin of Our Teeth? by Thornton Wilder. Ah. Oh. Yeah. A great American playwright. It was American Prairies I always associate him with. I Did he write right. American Prairies? I don't he did. No, no, just in terms of the big, vast lands of the Western oh. frontier. That's what I associate Thornton Wilder with. We called one of our cats Oscar because he was wild, and then we had one who was even worse. We called him Thornton. <laughs> okay. Very good. So, so, uh, so, we're in the mouth, the skin of our teeth, anything else? Uh, gums? I don't no. think so. Lips, hot lips. Hot lips. Nose? Uh, nose, well, we talked about nose. Oh, would well, being nosy, stick your nose in. That's a sort of They're thing. obvious because nosy that's what Parker. you do. Nosy Parker. We don't know if there was originally 
um, a, a man called Mr. Parker who stuck his nose in everywhere. But the idea oh. is it's probably a park keeper who was being a bit of a voyeur. Oh, really? Um, teeth. I can do teeth. Yeah. Long in the teeth. Long, Long in, the, in tooth. the tooth even. That goes back to people purchasing a horse who would judge the age of a horse by the size of its canines because apparently horse canines become a lot longer as the horse gets older. So in order to ascertain the age of a horse, people would look into the mouth, literally into the horse's mouth. And it's linked to don't look a gift horse in the mouth. In other words, if something's been given to you, don't be so rude as to check out its quality by seeing how long in the tooth it is. Long in the tooth relates to horses. And of course, do, does that happen? Does it do to horses? I generally do you, don't know. I've never looked. I have to say. I've never dared. Um, people, because my hearing is going slightly through Anno Domini, my age, I'm getting closer to people when I speak to them. Um, and oh, I really you, struggle with that, I have to say. I don't, I don't like invasion of personal space when people not talk Not do I. To nor do I. Well, that's why I insisted on this table. I think the grill you've put across the middle of the table is slightly <laughs> offensive, but there we are. That's the way you want to be. It's your sitting room, not mine. But no, uh, leading into people's faces, particularly in busy restaurants or coffee shops, there's a lot of clatter going on. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, so they can hear you and you can hear them. I'm now seeing their mouths more and I'm not liking what I'm seeing. <laughs> These old snaggly teeth. Uh, and that's why I've done this Invisalign thing, you know, oh, yes, where you too. put a little bit of plastic on your teeth. Me and it's tra- And funnily enough, uh, it's been a bore, but it does work. Mm. Uh, and I think one should uh, not try and grow Always long in the tooth. tooth. I want to stick to the head because I think we're going to have time to go beyond. The- well, no, no, we have to. We've got so no, many shoes. No, we can do more of the body another week. We haven't done the ears yet. Cloth ears. Well, it's the origin of cloth ears. I think, honestly, I looked at that in the OED because I had a feeling you were going to ask me that one. The OED doesn't really give any explanation. I guess it dates from 1912. It's the first record they have. And I guess it's just simply the idea that you have cloth ears, so you can't hear anything. Like, oh, because they're not real. Over. They're not functioning yeah. ears. They're yeah. like a bit of cloth stuck yeah. on the side of your face. Or cloth over your ears or whatever. Um, well, oh, so I'm not allowed to do any of the rest no, of the body. No, well, okay. let's, just, let's work down the body. Let's okay. just be, be organised. Okay. Uh, swan's neck. A swan's neck. Beautiful, long, elegant. Simple as that. Yes. You're likening it to a swan. Yes. Come down to the shoulders. Chip on the shoulder. Chip on the shoulder. It's said to originate with um, a US tradition in the 19th century we're talking about here of spoiling for a fight, really, by carrying a chip, a wood chip or a chip of bark on your shoulder as a sign that you were up for a fight. Oh, I'm up for a bit to of action. Settle, yeah, or to settle an argument or whatever. So you literally pick up a bit of bark, a bit of wood, mm. put it on your shoulder, into your epaulette, and wear it. If you had one, you I've are wearing a jumper today. with epaulettes. Yeah. You tuck it in there, and yeah. that would say to people, I'm ready for it. Yes. Are you up for it? I'm ready for it. Yes. It's a funny phrase. That's but one now theory. it means something quite different, doesn't it? Well, that's one theory, because that doesn't that sort of explains that you're up for a fight, I suppose, and so you might be a bit chippy. Um, you might just be um feel a bit prejudiced which i think is how it's kind of developed today there's one other theory which doesn't really again explain the modern meaning and that's that dockers um years ago centuries ago now were um, allowed to carry timber home it's one of the perks of the job that from the dockyard they would be able to bring firewood or valuable wood home and so they would sort of carry big chunks of timber on their shoulder but again it doesn't really explain why that dissatisfaction has crept in yes because the idea of chipping your shoulders is something a kind of resentment you it's feel a resentment, about it's the a world. prejudice isn't it really? and you carry it around with you yeah it's a kind of thing you've got on your shoulder all yeah. the time yeah uh and you can't you know you bring it up when it mm. so 
Hmm. Doesn't quite explain it. I can tell you about cold shoulder because there's oh, another do. lovely well, story attached to this, um, which is that um, it, you know you know the story of humble pie. A lot of people are familiar with this. Humble being um, humble pie being a pun on umbles pie. Umbles yeah. being the offals of an animal, which were once served to the so-called peasants at banquets, whilst the aristocracy enjoyed the best parts of meat cuts. Um, so humble pie is a riff on that. Uh, well, cold shoulder is a similar theme or the idea is that essentially the aristocracy would only offer cold lamb to people who were considered below the salt. In other words, at the, the end of the table, which was below the salt cellar where the peasants sat um, and they themselves would tuck into sort of hot beef or whatever. And so the salt is there because salt was incredibly expensive yeah, and it was only for the grand people and if you sat below the salt you were nobody yes and it was so, almost like a marker on a table as to who sat where um so that riffraff they were given the cold shoulder yeah it's not actually true it's oh. a lovely story but we think the idea is simply that you will turn your shoulder away in coldness and disdain okay is it time for a break uh, oh let's have a break and then we've got so many inquiries from our listeners you see we didn't I, i'm very pleased can i just say i'm very pleased we've concentrated on the head and shoulders because maybe They'll be advertising with us. <laughs> no, because no, then we can move on. We can move on to other things in okay. due course. Let's not rush it. Okay. Shampoo, Susie. by the way, mentioning head and shoulders, yeah. goes back to the Hindi um, for massage. So the first shampoos were actually beautiful head massages. I'm well up for that. Oh, really? Mm. A shampoo? I can't bear strangers touching me. I, you know, go to some spa and the idea of having some strange person manhandling you. Oh, I'd love that. Would you? Oh, massage is the best thing ever. Well, I think probably we know each other too well. Um, because I'm, I wouldn't be the straight... Another I'd put on a funny white coat. I can't bear the funny idea of being manipulated coat. by a total stranger. Head massage. Have you never had a head massage? No, I certainly haven't. Oh, good grief. It's the best thing in the world. Best thing in the world? Yeah. Oh, for goodness sake, woman. Let's have a break. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back. We're back and we are unmasoud or masoosed or whatever. Masoosed. Uh, yeah. I just made uh, that up. Were you telling me the truth or are you trying to hoodwink me about being loving uh, head massage? Head massage, I could honestly subject myself to that, submit to that but all day. Can you trust the people who do it? Yes. You know, what, what's the worst that could happen? My darling mother in her 90s, went into a massage parlour near her flat, wanting a massage because she had aching bones, a bit of arthritis. And they said to her, she pushed her way through the curtains, Madam, I think you've come for a different kind of massage. Go oh. elsewhere. Oh, My no. poor mother, in her 90s, she was looking. It, it, was, a, it was a nail parlour. Well, I think, yeah, but apparently... Is that a uh, euphemism? I've not yeah, heard well, that Yeah, well, apparently it is. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't need. So I, I mentioned hoodwinked now. there. Mm. Hoodwinked. What's the origin of that? Oh, yeah, often people say, "Why forty winks?" Um, and it's the same 
answer really to hoodwink because a wink, a wink, winken in Old English was to close your eyes entirely. So to take 40 winks was literally to close your eyes for 40 minutes. Oh. Um, and why 40? No one knows. But hoodwink is the same thing. Um, somebody will put a hood over your head to make your eyes close figuratively so you couldn't see anything. Very good. Like um, putting on a mask if you ride a Pulling the wool over your eyes. That's oh. another one. Um Bit of a mystery, this one, but the best guess is it goes back to the um, really long, fashionable wigs that people used to wear. Um, and the idea of pulling the wool over your eyes is pulling the wig down over somebody's eyes so they can't really see what's going on. I fell out with Joan Collins because she years ago... her wig. No, I that went sounds to, like a euphemism and a half. I went to interview her. And she's a brilliant person. Yeah. She's highly intelligent. She's a wonderful writer. She's an actress. She's a huge success. She's made, she's a phenomenon. And it was a happy and good interview. But I was conscious as the interview proceeded that her wig, I think it was a wig, um, was getting nearer and nearer her eyebrows. And it was a, you know, I was writing about it. And anyway, I wrote about it. And there was a little froideur between me and Dame Jones. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was not gallant, was it? No. And now I'm telling the story about it, but it was years ago. And anyway, I think she may have learned the lesson. She's yanked it right back. I put <laughs> um, put some photos on uh, Twitter the other day uh, of, I bought a fringe wig for eight quid from Amazon because I wanted to see whether I suited a fringe or not. And um, it looked fairly ridiculous. Uh, Rachel tried it on, predictably looked absolutely stunning. And then I gave it to Nick. You have to, if if anybody wants to have a look at Nick in a wig. I've seen it oh. because I follow you on Twitter. Okay. And I've seen it and him. This is Nick Hewer, the host of Countdown. And he looked like one of the monkeys. Do you know the he band? He looked like all sorts of things. Well, I do know the monkeys, uh, yes. Like, like the uh, sort of the mock beetles wearing yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm chumping at the bit. Yes. Which, of course, goes back oh. to horses. Because you're not letting me do any other parts of the body. Well, I want to keep something in reserve. <laughs> I've got down to your shoulders. We're doing, those who haven't seen Naked Attraction, uh, it in reverse. I'm not doing Naked Attraction. Don't, yes, sorry. Uh, no, no, I don't like the we there. No, no. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. we're doing it in reverse. We've done the head and the shoulders. Yeah. And then we're going to go, because there's so much more to say. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Shall I finish with the albatross around your neck? I would like to. Am I the albatross around your neck? No, you're not the albatross around my neck. Um, Am that I the you parrot know... on your shoulder? That's more like it. <laughs> You know about this. An albatross around your neck is an annoying burden of some kind. Um, and the albatross, obviously, a large seabird. And you will know this, Charles. It goes back to Coleridge's poem, The yeah. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. You stop with one and three. By thy long grey beard, etc. He shoots, a sailor shoots a friendly albatross and then is forced to wear its carcass around his neck as a punishment. You see, I think it's deeper than what you said. I think it is the albatross around your neck is something that you, the burden that you carry with you for the rest of your life. It's mm. a terrible thing. Mm. It's a wonderful poem by Coleridge, Samuel Taylor. We're going to be talking about poetry in a podcast. I, I hope coming we will. Words that, anyway, so that's the albatross around your neck. Yeah. Okay. Good place to end there. We've had lots of correspondence and we ought to explain. Thank you so much for getting in touch with us at purple, P-U-R-P-L-E, at, um, as an at, something without a G else. It's a difficult address, isn't it? Um, we do actually genuinely read all your letters. We can't reply to all of them, but we'll try to cover as many as we can here. Mm -hmm. So what, what ones have you picked out from the bag this week? A uh, lovely email from David Kunton, uh, who actually has a, a, a favourite habit. 
which is quite similar to one of mine because he says, I wanted to ask about the origin of using schm as a prefix to essentially disagree with what was suggested. For example, if someone says, I love riding on horseback, he might say horseback schmorseback. Oh, yeah. And he's wondering if it's related to the Yiddish word schmuck, meaning well, that's fool. Very good. And the answer is yes, it is Yiddish, as David guessed. Um, and there are so many words that begin with this combination. Fancy schmancy being the one I love. Um, came into American English by probably Jewish immigrants to um, to America. And so this habit, I guess, dates back to around the 20s, the late 1920s. Um, and yes, schmuck does... Uh, Come into the whole list. That means penis, by the way. And in Polish, yes, a poet. I thought that was a schwang. There's all sorts. Fine, okay. Um, So you're a schmuck, is saying you're a penis. Well, most most names for fools, prick, dick, all of that stuff, Ah, of course, go back to that, yeah. Yeah. And in Polish, by the way, a schmock is a grass snake. Just thought I'd throw that in. Um, And also schmaltz which in Jewish and German cookery is animal fat. So anything schmaltzy is a bit kind of unctuous and greasy. So you know, thank you, David, for that one. Thank you, David. Another one here, Giles, from Anita or Anita McGregor, um, who very kindly recommends this to all word lovers. And she says, we introduced her to tartle. Do you remember that? To tartle is to hesitate when introducing somebody because you've forgotten their name. And she has had the awkward experience of forgetting her own name <laughs> oh. um, because I think she was trying to remember her maiden name after a divorce and she just couldn't remember where you know what it was in the moment. She said, is there a word for self-tartle? And the answer, Anita, is no, we need one. Um, Svartle? I don't know. Svartle, 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 there you go. Um, yeah, Schmartle even. Uh, no, not yet. I did look um, and I did look quite extensively, actually. I couldn't find one, so I think we need to make one up. And to be serious for a moment, you can't just invent a word and think, I've invented a word. It's got to gain currency to be a credible word, hasn't it? No, no I ah. disagree with that. No, I mean, I think because we don't have an authority in this country, we don't have an academy saying you can do this and you can't do that. People look to the dictionary to be the arbiter. But actually, it doesn't mean that if something's not in the dictionary, it doesn't exist as a word. So I had a nice tweet this morning from someone saying, please, can you tell your colleagues at the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, that I've invented a new word, Miss Jumper, which is to put a jumper on inside out or with the label hanging out. Always have it. Yeah. And because it doesn't have to get into the OED for it to be a word, he can or she can use it totally legitimately and it will still be a word. So it is all about currency and that will dictate whether it gets into the dictionary, but it doesn't mean it's not a word. Fine. So the dictionary is simply a record of words that have gained some sort of currency. Yes. But if you've got... They have to have been in print, don't they, to be in the dictionary? They do, although that might change, I think. We're going to get more and more oral records informing the OED. So well done. Miss Jumper's a nice thing, because I'm often doing that. You put it on back to front, inside out. All the time. Oh, God, I'm Miss Jumpered. No, I do that all the time. I do. Um, So, yes, should we carry on? Give us one more. Okay, one more. Um, Which is from Jenny Schwartz. Oh, Um, Schwartz again. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Where's this from, or is it just nonsense? Uh, well, there's a lovely record in print, which is about the earliest one that we can find, from a tour in England and Scotland from 1785. And it says, It's customary for the gentlemen who live near the Tweed to entertain their neighbours and friends with a fete champêtre, which they call giving a kettle of fish. Tents of marquees, sorry, tents or marquees are pitched near the flowery banks of the river, a fire is kindled and live salmon thrown into boiling kettles. Sounds very cruel for the salmon. Um, But we think the transfer of that idea of cooking fish in a kettle, which is basically a cooking pot, the transfer of that to a fine mess 
um, or, you know, the really sort of jumbled situation is probably simply from the, the mess of fish, scales and bones that would end up in the pot afterwards. That's our best guess. Um, I agree it's probably not the most plausible one, but that's where we are at the moment. That's work what, goes on. Work goes on. I think we have to wrap up. I think we do. Yeah. Uh, we have to wrap up. Uh, what can we What can we finish with in terms oh, well, of the part we, of the body? I will look into no, the pupil of your eye and see myself. Uh, that's it. And then have 40 winks. Uh, I would know. Before we wrap up, I'm not going to give us your trio of exciting oh, words. Oh, yes, good point. We always finish with a trio of words from Susie Dent. These yes. may be familiar words with unfamiliar origins, or they may be unfamiliar words that we ought to bring into our currency. And I want maybe next week to talk to you about how, because you introduce us to so many new words all the time, and I find it difficult to remember them. In the moment, I'm excited. And then I think, oh, what was that word? And maybe you've got some tips on how we can get these words into our heads. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are your three words for this week? Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a part of the body, seeing as it's uh, fitting. Um, This is a word that means literally death by foot, and it describes putting your foot in it. It's an act of podiocide. Podiocide, I love yes. it. As in podiatrist, same beginning. Yes, P-O-D- and the side as in... Suicide. Patricide, all of patricide, that stuff. So P-O-D-I-A-C-I-D-E. Exactly. And that's killing yourself with it's your own foot. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, just to give you two more parts of the body. But yes, podiocide, I quite like What's that. What's the origin of tongue-in-cheek? Tongue-in-cheek is one of the I know what it is, but what... Well, because it sounds the, like you're just you're not quite, you know, you might do that if you were joking. Yeah. Why, why is it a joke? Tongue in cheek. Oh, is it a gesture you make? Tongue in cheek. I think it might be. Okay. Um, Right. The next P, Uh, I've got three P's for you today, nothing to do with bodily P's. Psitherism. How do you spell that? Which I love. P S I T H. Psitherism. U R I S M. Yep. Psitherism. If you sort of say it very softly and gently, it's quite poetic. It means the whispering of leaves in the wind. In fact, is the P pronounced? Should it just be Scytherism? Um, Well, you can pronounce it either way. That's a good point. Dictionary will give both. Um, But there's also a word for another word for that, which I'll throw in for good measure, which is susurration. Oh, I know that. Yes, which is gorgeous. And that's onomatopoeic in a way, isn't it? Yes, susurration. Yeah, murmur of the sea. And Scytherism. Um, okay, there's another P, uh, which we all are guilty of sometimes. Me especially. To work in an ineffective way is to ploiter. P-L-O-I-T-E-R. Oh, I like that. Who invented that? How long has that been old dialects. You'll find it in the English Dialect Dictionary from the 19th century. I was ploitering. Meaning, say it again. To work in an ineffective way. To work in ploitering. Well, we've had 30 minutes or so of ploitering here. (laughs) Speak Um, for yourself. Well, no, it's not really done any good, is it? Hopefully. It's it's been totally ineffective. shared a bit of fun. But we have shared a bit of fun. A few smiles. We've shared a few smiles. You're the best... You wonderful, capricious thing. <laughs> yeah. Hair standing on end? Hedgehog head. I'm a hedgehog head. Hedgehog head. Hedgehog head. You live and learn. That's the joy of something rhymes with purple. And you... then you die and forget it. All. Okay, thank you very much for being with us. You can tweet us or email us at purple at something else.com. Uh, we can't answer every question, but we'll try our best. Okay, and. Something you... Rhymes with Purple yes. is a Something Else production produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Lawrence Bassett, Steve Ackerman, and Gully. Oh, Gully, why did he get a mention? He isn't even here. <laughs>